following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good evening, everyone. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, if you would, please. If you are online, the notes are available on the church website like they normally are. Uh, they are entitled, uh, or the, the passage is Matthew seven thirteen to 29. Actually, it's part two tonight, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 29. And uh, if you wonder, are these the same exact notes as I used the last time? They are not, but they are very similar. <laughs> um, so I uh, last time went through the first portion of Matthew chapter 7, uh, 13, and we actually spoke on the narrow and the broad way, and then we spoke about good and bad fruit. We have some more in the chapter, however, that yet remains. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to move through the first pages of my notes uh, quickly and uh, just uh, touch on those uh, new areas tonight instead of focusing on the old. But you remember, you're supposed to enter in by the narrow gate because uh, the other way, main, the main reason, the other way leads to destruction. So you don't want to go down that way. As easy and as attractive as it might seem, you don't want to do that. Our brother Thurman Hunter often says, don't go there. <laughs> Uh, he says, you do not want to do that, and so I uh, appreciate his forthrightness about that. It's too terrible to consider. Uh, those words are words from my mentor. You might remember him saying that, Dr. Sachs would say. It's too terrible, and uh, that's terrible's already uh, exclamatory and extreme and all that, but too terrible. And so then the other area was the fruit, and the fruit really had to do with false prophets who are proliferating on the broad way. We have them today clamoring for attention of people and trying to gather a following, and, and they do that, but they are false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing. They deceptively appear to be harmless and lovable, but they are ravenous and dangerous instead of those other nice characteristics. So uh, scripture tells us here, the Lord speaking, you will know them by their fruits. So you look at the output of their life, you look at the output of their teaching, of their conduct, and uh, you can see, kind of see through them like the Lord saw through the Pharisees and said, you know, you folks look, you know, all nice and uh pretty white painted on the outside, little uh, sepulchers, but guess what's on the inside? All kinds of nasty, gross uh, carnage. Uh, just, you know, you don't want to be inside of a, a sepulcher very long because it's just dead bodies in there, bones and rotting flesh and all that sort of stuff. So it's not good. Well, so now we move on to verse uh, 21. And this is a well-known passage I hope that we can glean some uh, new thoughts about it, perhaps in the next few moments tonight. The Bible says this in, in verse number uh, 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. So what he's doing in the first verse there, 21, is just the two first words, Lord, Lord. But what is it that they're saying? They're, they're using that as, a, as what's called evocative, that is a, a part of speech that calls out somebody's name or title. And then they say, listen, haven't we prophesied in your name? Haven't we cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And they're asking this evidently in response to him uh, being a little bit unhappy with them. Lord, Lord, haven't we done these things? Can you imagine the scene? Something is not good, they think, in the Lord's disposition or appearance toward them. And they say to him, Lord, haven't we done all these things? Kind of pleading almost, asking, convincing, persuading. And then verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I have some notes on this for you tonight. Some will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied, cast out demons, done wonders, many wonders? Some people will rely, many people will rely upon their religious works, even those done in the name or in association with the name of Jesus. You know, didn't we do all these things in your name? Now, they did something, and they did use the name of Jesus, but it was not the works of Christ that they were doing. It was not Christ who was doing those works in them. And the Lord is displeased with two things here, I think. He's displeased with the works, and he's displeased with the lawlessness that comes when we read the last part of verse number 23. Let me try to uh, suggest why that is. Doing these religious works attached to Jesus' name was bad enough as they wowed the crowds with their, and I'm going to use a modern phrase, with their power evangelism. That I'm using because people have said within the last 40 years or so, you have to do these kinds of signs in your churches so that you will have power evangelism. But they also, these people, practiced evil on the side out of the view of everyone else. And this is the key thing to notice. They did some seemingly very wonderful things, but the Lord knows who really belongs to him. And these ones were also practicing lawlessness. So it's kind of like these ones were like the people in Old Testament Israel who, you know, they'd be sacrificing to demons and not to God. They would be offering, you know, things on the high hills and under every green tree. And then they'd come and they'd worship God and they'd have their contrition and they'd do their sacrifice or whatever. And uh, the Lord did not accept any of that stuff because of their wickedness in their life. What, what are your sacrifices in your feasts to me? Enough with it. Off, done. I don't want to see any more of it. So the religious works, it's almost like because of who they were and what they were doing, it was sickening to God that they were doing these religious works. As good as they might have thought them to be, the reality was, as Titus 1.16 says, they're disqualified from every good work. They're not qualified. You can't touch that holy stuff. You are unfit 
to be involved in this kind of religious work because of your practice of lawlessness. So today, both of these aspects are a problem. The miracles, and the, you know, the prophecy and all that on the one hand, and the lawlessness on the other hand. Let me try to, again, show you what I mean by that. The, uh, I, I make an application in this first case to what is called uh, charismatic chaos, following the title of a book by MacArthur. There is a kind of prophecy that is not predictive. We've talked about that, but it's proclamatory. So preaching could be considered a kind of prophecy, but we don't call it prophecy. I doubt these people who are saying, Lord, Lord, are thinking of prophecy in terms of proclamation. They're thinking of the kind of more spectacular uh, and predictive kind of prophecy. And people today who are in the charismatic movement certainly don't limit themselves to proclamatory ministry. You know, they think they're saying, you know, you people, somebody out there has got this problem in your life and God's going to do this for you and God's going to do that for you and, and all that sort of thing or make some outlandish prediction about the end of the world or whatever. These people will say that they're prophets, but there were no prophets after the first century throughout the church. These people who practice power evangelism will cast out demons in the name of the Lord, but it's all fakery. They aren't casting out demons. It's either fake, made up, or it's done in the, in, the, in the power of the devil. There's no proof that people are gifted to do those things today. They will claim that they've done many wonders in the name of Christ, but miracles are not done today by any person. So I would be very um, concerned if I were you that you emphasize prophecy and, uh, and miracles um, and wonderful works and casting out demons and all that. You do all that stuff today, and then you come to a passage like this, and it says, I never knew you. That's concerning to me, more than concerning, in fact. And somebody might say, well, I do all those things, but I don't have the lawlessness in my life. Well, then you've got to deal with the basic bottom line of what, what does Scripture mean when it says that you know, prophecies and those sorts of things will cease. And you say they don't cease. So you have a violation of God's word in, in that sense. Well, uh, perhaps these folks think by the quantity of their works they will achieve favor with God. But all of this we've looked at the, before 1 Corinthians 13 about the cessation of the gifts all undercuts the, the, the Pentecostal and charismatic agenda and exorcisms and gifts and signs and wonders movement and all the rest of it. But those things become the focus instead of Christ being the focus. And all this religious work, the name of Christ, is appended to the activity, but it is not Christ who's doing the work. It can't be because there's, you know, as I say, it's all fakery or it's demonic even. And so they're doing works that are not appropriate, not biblical, and they're further professing to know God, but in works, they're denying him. How do we know that? Well, Practicing lawlessness is what the Lord says. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes some, somebody might have a tendency to say, oh, that's those poor people. They're doing all these good works and they're not going to be into the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, but look, the rest of the passage says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The Lord Jesus doesn't say that about his own because they don't practice lawlessness. You see the difference? They practice righteousness. He who is righteous practices righteousness, okay? First John tells us that, that notion. So 
they're Christ followers, they've uh, repented of sin, and they don't do lawlessness. These people are doing, you know, look, at there are people who claim to be Christians who are ardent supporters of abortion, okay? Don't even talk to me about that, all right? Don't even talk to me about that. <laughs> it's not possible, okay? I, I, I used the example on a Sunday, I think, about like the Crusades and the Inquisition and these things. People call themselves Christians, even some of the Reformers, burning people at the stake, or the Catholic Church burning people for translating the Bible. You know, us Bibles International type people would be burned up because they're trying to translate the Bible into another language. Don't give me this idea that, you know, try to, try to convince me you're a Christian if you're going around doing that. That is not Christianity. So people who are Christians, they claim, and yet they support abortion, or they're dishonest, they're deceptive, they hide all kinds of other rot in their lives, are going to be called out before Christ for what they really are. And for us as Christians, we know that we're going to be vindicated in the sense that those people who you know, professed faith, or even didn't, are going to be punished according to God's righteousness. And we don't have to, to worry about those things. God will take care of all that. But there's no faking Christ. You know, you can't take your deception and fakery and your, and your sheep's clothing and go before the Lord. I mean, he sees right through it with x-ray vision. Yes, yeah. Um, so the Bible says not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but some will, okay? The Lord Jesus said not everyone, but he didn't say no one who says, Lord, Lord, okay? Notice that. Some, the this, this some who are not in the everyone here, the everybody else will say, are those who truly are Christ's followers who repented of their sin and turned to him by faith and who thus do the will of the Father in heaven. You see that in verse 22. Uh, I'm sorry, verse, um, end of verse 21. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, he's the one that's going to enter into the kingdom. How do you do the will of God? Well, similar idea is found in John 6, 29. Jesus said, if you want to do the work of God... You believe on him whom he sent. Okay, that's not exactly the same as the will of God. It's the work of God, but it's the same thing. It's the same concept. The will of God is to believe on the one whom he, the Father, sent, and that is the Son. Okay, so not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but some will. Who are those some? Those are the truly repentant, the people who do not practice lawlessness because they've been transformed from the inside out by the gospel. Christians are those who call Jesus Lord, so we do call him Lord, don't we? And we do call him Lord because that title perfectly represents who he is and our relationship to him. Let me unpack it one more sentence each, okay? The word Lord is not a mere word that we use, okay, when the Bible says uh, you know, nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Or if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. It's not merely a word that we use. It's words have meaning, right? 
And the word Lord means two things. It expresses a truth about Christ and a truth about us. The truth about Christ is, without being too dumbly repetitious, is he is Lord. He is God. And the truth of this word Lord for us is that we are subject to him as Lord. So it tells us about who he is, and it tells us about who we are. He's the Lord, we're the subjects. He is God, we're the servants. He's the creator, we're the creation. So the, in, in one word, you have this, this twofold idea of who he is and who we are. And this word expresses our relationship with him that we are his servants. That's why you can't discard what is called lordship salvation. You can't discard the idea of lordship because if you say, well, I can believe in him as savior, but I'm not going to have him as Lord, what you've just done is you've cut the heart out of the gospel. You've tried to make Jesus into an add-on to your life to save you from sin, to be fire insurance, as some people say, but no, you're not going to be his disciple. You're not going to follow him. You're not going to obey him. So may I say this? Pray tell those who don't call Jesus Lord. How are they going to come before the throne and say, Lord, Lord, if they don't believe he's the Lord? Really? He is really the Lord. Not just by title. It doesn't just have to do with him. It has to do with us. Okay. Where am I at? I'm getting off my script here. Uh, Those who do the will of God are those who practice holiness and give evidence of true saving faith. These ones who do the things Jesus outlined in the first part of the Sermon on the Mount are the ones who make it plain that they are true followers of God. The real fruit of life is, is showing through. Their repentance is obvious. Their faith is obvious. Um, you know, those people who repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, they mourn over sin, they, uh, they're salt and light. You're starting to recognize again all these things from the Sermon on the Mount. You know, the, the Beatitudes, they know about the law, that anger is bad, that divorce is terrible, that oaths are forbidden, that we're supposed to uh, love our enemies and uh, do our religious works like prayer and fasting, not to be seen by men, but... Two, to be seen by God. We're to pray like the disciples are taught to pray by the Lord in Matthew 6, and so on and so forth. That's what the believer's life looks like. That's how righteousness works out in our lives. Now, Matt, I might also suggest you pray like this. You pray like this. Lord, help me to not be a pretender, but to be real. Help me not to be a pretender, but to be real. I've been pretending at my Christian life. I've been pretending to be righteous, but inside is full of rot and sin, and Lord, I don't want it anymore. I don't want to pretend. That might mean if you realize you're pretending that you need to come to faith in the first place, or it might mean that in some department you've been a little pretending, pretend, you've been a little too much on the pretend side, not the real side, and you need to turn away from that. You need to repent. And so you pray, God, don't let me pretend. I want to be real. And those who truly believe in God and Christ desire to offer such a prayer to obey God. 
and God will see to it that they are able to accomplish the good that he wants them to do. But, you know, when somebody prays that kind of prayer, you know God has a hold of their heart. When they say, God, I don't want to be like that. I want you to get a hold of my, I want to live righteously. You know that they're real. There's a realness there. Now, at the last day, the day of judgment, Jesus will command those who practice lawlessness to get away from him. That's the last place that you want to to go to is away from Jesus. Those who do not obey the commands of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount or elsewhere in the New Testament, the rest of Scripture, are not fit to be in his presence. That's the conclusion I draw from this when he says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. His eyes are too pure to behold sin. He cannot have sin un confessed, unwashed, unexpiated sin in his presence. These people will be deposited instead of in God's presence. Where will they be deposited? In the lake of fire that burns with brimstone forever and ever, and they will never escape. The Bible says that these ones will depart and be cast into the lake of fire, which was prepared for the devil and his angels. But it so happens that it is also a suitable place for people who are partners with the devil and his angels. People. Okay, I, I picked up that little notion from Dr. McCune at the seminary that this I, the idea is not that you know, God gleefully, you know, ha, 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 created hell for people to go to. You know, rather, he created it for the devil and his angels, those who fell the perfect creation of these angelic beings, and then any people who follow them also will go there, not because the place was particularly designed with glee for those to go there, but it is a suitable place for those who reject God and Christ. Um, Matthew 25, verse uh, 41 says, He will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. There it is. Depart from me. Same, same concept. This departure is the destruction of the broad way. Okay? When you depart from Christ, you end up in destruction. That is where the broad way leads to. Matthew 25, 31, uh, sorry, not 31, it's 34, says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before or from the foundation of the world. So he says to those who are on his right, Come, to those who are on his left, depart. Okay, you with me in the text? A couple more points here, and then we'll give your brain a rest, okay? 2 Timothy 2.19 says that the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who belong to him. But in Matthew 7, 23, it says the Lord does not know these people. He will say to those people, I don't know you. Of course, he knows them, but he doesn't know them in the relational sense. Okay? He doesn't know them in the relational sense. He doesn't have a personal relationship with them, neither they with he. Now remember, There's one very scary passage of Scripture, I think. The Scripture says, 
In Matthew 26, 74, something very um, difficult. Peter, when he was asked if he was associated with Jesus, he began to curse and to swear, saying, I do not know the man. I do not know the man. But you know what? Peter did not want the Lord Jesus to say the same back to him. In fact, the Lord knew Peter, and he looked upon him with most certainly great sadness and disappointment in his eyes when Peter gave that denial and looked at him. And Peter knew. He knew that he really did know the Lord, but he said, I don't know the Lord. But said in reverse, if the Lord says, I don't know you, that's a bad, 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 bad situation. You don't want that. Make sure you know the Lord and he knows you. Jesus did know Peter, and that's why Peter came back to him. Peter came back to him. But the good news is, John 6, 37, those who come to Christ in humble repentance will never be told to depart from me. Look at that passage, John 6, uh, 37. You should know this verse. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will never, I will by no means make him depart. I know it doesn't say that, but that's what it means. There is, is by no means will I tell him ever to depart. I will no, by no means cast him out. So if you've come to Christ in faith and you've trusted in him, he will not cast you out. Uh, you know, this passage that we've read here is not in Matthew 7, is not a call to perfection. Okay, don't go off the rails here and say, oh, well, I don't perfectly live my life and the Lord's going to say I don't know you. No, there's, there's a balance in the Christian life where you have to recognize, yes, I do have that desire to live for him. I do want to love him. I do ask him to help me not to pretend in any department of my life. And that is the kind of religious work that we're concerned about and that's demonstrative of true faith. Not going out there and doing all kinds of healing services and signs and wonders and speaking in tongues and all this. You know, I'm so spiritual. But behind all of that facade is a life of rottenness. It's the life from the inside that says, God, I want to know you. I want to live for you. I don't want to be a pretender. Please help me. You confess your sins. You live for him. You walk with him. And you won't be coming to the Lord saying, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these wonderful things? You're going to say to him, Lord, Lord, didn't you die for me? I have nothing to bring before you. All of my works, whatever they were that were done in your name, you know what those are. You've accumulated those in your heart and in your mind, O oh Lord, and you know all of that stuff. You brought it through me anyway because I wouldn't have done it without the Spirit of God or the power of God. And so we don't come before God and say, hey, you know, I got all this good works uh, here. Let me in, you know. No, that's not how it works. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for...
promising us that those that come to you in faith will never be cast out. But Lord, we are sobered by this fact that some will use the name of the Lord kind of in vain and uh, will be calling out and talking about their works, but they will not be received because they practice lawlessness. Help us not to practice lawlessness, but to live for you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I didn't get as far as I thought I might, but uh, that's okay. I think it was a good, uh, a good lesson for us tonight, so hopefully it was helpful to you, and may God bless you uh, this evening. Those of you that are online, thank you for participating, and we pray that God will bless you as well. Have a good night. God bless all, and uh, safe travel homes, okay? Good night.